this is the final episode I'm recording while visiting family and friends and traveling on the East Coast. I have done a few episodes about my journey out here. I will be recording an episode about my journey back to the West Coast. So that'll be the next solo episode that comes out. And it's interesting as I am taking in the experiences I've had so far and also really trying to be present and mindful as I wrap up the time I'm spending at my parents' home in Massachusetts. It is the end of October and 2023, and I am leaving here in, I think, five days. And when I think about time, which is the theme of today's episode, it's a really interesting experience, (laughs) mental thought experience, because sometimes five days feels really long. It's very relative, as as most of us have experienced when it comes to time, when, when something feels really far away, when you're anticipating something, you're really excited about something. Well, I find myself right now feeling like five days is so short. And I noticed this two or three days ago when I was about a week away from leaving and I thought, wow, this week is going to go by so fast. And there's something about that that feels really sad to me, (laughs) Um, knowing that time is coming to an end. And I also look back over the last two months that I've been stationed at my parents' house in Massachusetts. My trip has been about two and a half months. I started this in early August and took my time driving cross country. And then when I arrived here at the end of August, it just felt like time kept fluctuating. There are moments where things went by really quickly. There are times when I look back over the last two months and feel like, wow, so much happened. That was only two months. I feel like I've been out here for six months. And it's such an interesting opportunity to reflect on how time feels, given that I often feel, and I've noticed and heard from other people that they often feel like they don't have enough time. So I want to explore that today, given the context of my experiences and also some books that I have been reading. One of them is called In Praise of Slowness, Challenging the Cult of Speed. And I started reading this book sometime in the last week. And I think it's because I'm trying to slow down. My aim at the beginning of 2023 was to slow down more. And I feel like I kind of accomplished that. I started to accomplish it, but now that we're towards the end of the year, I realize that that is a big undertaking. It's really hard to slow down. It's hard to be present. It's hard to feel like you can really take your time. And I've been contemplating why that is. This is why I started reading in praise of slowness. I also picked up another book recently called rest is resistance, which is mostly about the impact of things like racism and, uh, very various versions of systemic oppression 
a lot of these books actually talk about systemic issues. And I, I think it comes down to that when, when we're wondering why we don't feel like we have enough time and we're wondering why times can feel like it's going by so quickly. I think a lot of it's just the culture, the cult of speed, perhaps, as the book states it, the addiction to moving so fast, hustle culture. These are big themes throughout this whole podcast because I've recognized that hustling and busyness and moving fast are things that sometimes I find myself doing almost uncontrollably. I get caught up in it very easily. Other people seem to but it doesn't really align with what I want because when I'm moving too fast, I tend to feel tension and stress. I can feel it in my body and my chest. Yesterday was a great example. It felt so chaotic for me. I've been getting up earlier and earlier. I tend to sh start shifting my schedule before I drive cross country or do any sort of big trip because I like to get up when the sun comes out to maximize the day. And even that mentality of maximizing time, it's simultaneously wonderful because especially when I'm aiming to be in, in harmony and rhythm with, in sync with nature, with the sun, for example, it's really enjoyable. Being in sync with nature feels like a big aim of mine. And when I'm traveling, that's a beautiful perk. But I also find myself wanting to be in sync with nature because I'm trying to do as much as I possibly can in the short amount of time that the, the light is out, uh, the sunlight, the natural light. And, and that can lead me to feeling so rushed and tense. But it's really hard. Even with that awareness, it is hard to not fall into that rhythm. So the inspiration for all that is, is timely because I'm reflecting not only on the time I've spent out here and the time remaining out here, but also what my experience will be like going back to the West Coast and noticing the difference that I feel when I do these annual trips that last about three months to a lot of people, that seems like a lot of time. And, and three months is relatively a lot of time. But given how quickly it goes by and, and given how much it feels like I want to do in that time, it flies by. It's like before I know it, I'm headed back to my home in Los Angeles. And I often want to carry with me the things that I love about the East Coast. I time things even around the change in season. The reason I tend to travel in August is I want to enjoy the end of summer and be with people when they have different schedules. For instance, my friends who have kids, you know, it often works out when they're on summer break to spend time with each other. Um, and then I like the, the change of season on the East coast right now, outside my window, I'm, I'm looking at beautiful golden leaves on trees that I don't think we have in LA, certainly not this type of landscape in, in my home. When I look out my window in Los Angeles, I'm seeing tons of buildings and palm trees, which I love, but they tend not to change color unless their health is at risk. 
And so being out here to watch the leaves change color from green to red to orange to yellow and see them fall down onto the grass and, and feel the temperature changing, it's really wonderful. I notice myself changing. I notice myself feeling more relaxed. I I have the impact of all of these things. And yet it's still hard to slow down. For me coming out away from the big city of Los Angeles to a small town in Massachusetts to the places I visit throughout the East Coast when I see friends and family, it's a ritual that I have performed because I feel oftentimes more present and and the change of pace allows me to tune into myself in a different way than I feel the nine months out of the year that I'm in Los Angeles kind of going through the motions of the day to day. But anyone that has traveled, done had had any sort of vacation experience, you you probably recognize there's the benefit of doing something different and fun and stimulating. And then there's all this pressure within travel to maximize the experience. And that has been something I notice no matter how long I spend out here. The other reason that I do three months is because before I started driving cross country to visit my family and friends, I used to fly out here from LA and that felt like truly not enough time. It was a much shorter experience to fly across country. It's about a five or six hour flight and plus driving to the airports. But I would tend to only stay a week or so. It was a different experience because I didn't have my car. So I was dependent on other people to drive me around or let me borrow their car. And so over time, it just felt like I was packing so much in and I was limited by transportation. And when I chose to drive cross country, it it became a very different experience because it takes a while to drive cross country instead of five or six hours. It's a minimum of five or six days, unless you're really driving nonstop. I suppose you could drive from California to Massachusetts in maybe three days, maybe less. I think um, Elon Musk, when the Tesla's were being developed, he wanted to prove to people that you could drive an electric car across country. And I think he did it in like 50 something hours. So <laughs> that's not what I want to do. I don't want to drive nonstop for 50 hours and switch on and off with other people. Um, I like to take my time because I don't want to rush. I'm trying to do the opposite of it. But even when I spend several weeks driving cross country, it goes by fast and it feels rushed. Even when I wake up at 6 a.m. and watch the sunrise, which is always beautiful, I'm still getting in my car and getting to the next destination. And there's this sense of wanting to stay on track, stay on time. When you fly on a plane, time is a huge factor, right? You need to get to the airport on time. You need to get to the gate and not miss your flight. You need to account for TSA and security measures, you know, all of these things, time, time, time. And this is one of the things that comes up in that book in praise of slowness is how the clock actually has shifted our entire experience. The beginning of the book, which by the way, I haven't finished. I've only read a few chapters so far. 
um, I think the first chapter centers around the history of time and humanity. And I'll, I'll pull up some of my quotes and see some of the moments that have, or the pieces, the sections that have spoke to me. The book starts off with how we can often not resist the itch to hurry on to the next thing on our agenda. And I think that's a very familiar experience for most of us, whether you're traveling, as I'm describing, or just going about your day. Even right now, I'm recording this podcast episode, and I have a container of time that I've scheduled this for before I start my next meeting. And everything that happened before this recording was scheduled around it. I've been up since 8.30 a.m., which is early for me. <laughs> Typically, I'm I'm someone that wakes up between 9 and 10 a.m., but but uh, I, I've been trying to get up early to prepare for this trip. And, and so I started my work for the day around 9, and it's just been going, going, going right now. It's 1 p.m., so I've been working off and on and, and looking at a, a checklist, my agenda for the past four hours. And even when I woke up, and one of these books that I read mentions how one of the first things that most human beings do right now in 2023, first things they do when they wake up typically is to look at time. We're looking at a clock. We're looking at our phones. We're looking at a watch. And many of us just start off the day trying to center ourselves around that time. And it's become so commonplace, most of us don't even realize it. So paying attention to these things is makes it really interesting. I've been trying to resist the urge not to look at my phone. I've become a bit dependent on it, though, because I'm in this habit of getting my phone to turn first to turn off the alarm. If I want to wake up early, I'm someone that needs to set an alarm. If I don't set an alarm, I'm going to sleep until 10 or 11. That's just the way my body has worked. So first thing I do is turn off my alarm. So it immediately shows me what time it is. Now, what I would like to do is to put my phone away or maybe not even use a phone at all. Some people have a, a watch or an alarm clock not attached to their phone for this reason. I find that a bit inconvenient, uh, but maybe that's part of the point. <laughs> Anyways, I have gotten into the habit of turning on my phone and starting to read emails and check text messages and go into various apps. That has become my ritual of waking up. My brain benefits from that stimulation in some ways, and that's why I've got into that habit, but it's really probably not the best way to start my day. However, there's always a trade-off, right? Like, okay, what other stimulation would help me? What do I want to do with my time is a big question. For me, I'm afraid I'm going to fall asleep, especially if I'm trying to wake up at a specific time. Like if my alarm goes off and I don't reset it, I'll probably fall asleep and sleep for another hour or so. If I don't get some sort of stimulation, then I'll fall back asleep. If I want to stay awake, I could just jump out of bed, but that also feels very physically uncomfortable. I'm someone who first thing in the morning, I'm a little grouchy. I'm a little physically uncomfortable. My body might not be ready to wake up yet. And that is interesting too, right? Like doing things that our body is trying to signal to us that it doesn't actually want to do. 
But many of us are used to that. We are used to creating these systems, these habits, these rituals to put ourselves into a state that we might not naturally get into. And that's something I question a lot, but it's hard to operate in a world that kind of encourages you to do that. So if you don't go with the cult of speed, for example, then how do you fit into that culture? Now you might say, well, do I need, do I need to, do I have to? That's, I guess, part of the question going against the grain of a society that we operate in to survive. We need other people for sure. That's how humanity is based. Very few of us could even survive without other people. And I find that other people are often the obstacle here, being on somebody else's schedule, trying to sync up a schedule with somebody else it becomes very complex. So it feels easier to go with the flow. It feels easier to keep ourselves integrated with the culture, even when that's not something that we actually want to do. So going back to some of the quotes from In Praise of Slowness, the beginning of it mentions how our whole lives have turned into an exercise in hurry and packing more and more into every hour. And when I read that line, I know that I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurry. I don't like the feeling of hurry. As I mentioned, it makes me feel tense. I feel stressed. I feel panicked. And yet I often find myself trying to pack in more and more into every hour. And when I'm on the East Coast and looking out at the trees and being in my parents' backyard and breathing in the fresh air... I don't want to pack in anymore. What I really yearn to do is to just be there. I yearn to wake up without an alarm. And I do that from time to time. I yearn to just sit outside and look at the plants and the bugs and the birds and the critters and and everything else that nature brings. But that for me, that only lasts maybe 20 minutes if I'm lucky before I feel that tension. I feel that pressure to pack things in again. In 1982, an American physician coined the term time sickness to describe the obsessive belief that time is getting away, that there isn't enough of it, and that you must pedal faster and faster to keep up. 1982. Now, this book gets into history that goes well farther back than 1982, but when I see that, I'm like, okay, it's been over 40 years that we have had this time sickness, that obsession that we don't have enough time. And and I think these dates, this historical context is really helpful to realize that this is a, a battle that is not easily won, that's not easily changed because if we haven't felt like there's enough time today or yesterday or in the past 40 plus years, will we ever feel like there's enough time? And that's part of my mission. I mean, maybe it's going to be my goal for 2024, not just to slow down, but what if I could change my 
perception of time to always feel like there is enough. I mean, enoughness is a goal in general because so many of us feel some version of not enoughness. We don't feel like we are attractive enough. We don't feel like we have enough money. We don't feel like we have enough success. We don't feel like we have enough time. This not enough, not enough, not enough. I don't want to live my life with that. At least not as regularly as I have. (laughs) The book says when you accelerate things that should not be accelerated, when you forget how to slow down, there is a price to pay. And I, I think for me, the price to pay is stress. That That's the main word that comes up. And I don't want to live my life with so much stress. So that's why I want to slow down. That's why I want to notice when I'm accelerating things that should not be accelerated. But it's hard to decipher, again, when we're caught up in it, when it's become a habit, when it's part of our culture to do these things, it's really hard to even know what should or shouldn't be accelerated. And maybe nothing should be accelerated. Maybe, maybe everything's just too rushed. The author who, by the way, uh, the author's name is Carl mm, Honor, maybe Carl Honor, Connor Honore. I don't know how to pronounce this author's last name, but they said that when we rush, we skim the surface and fail to make real connections with the world or other people. And that resonates with me because my whole life I've, I've aimed to not skim the surface. I don't like surface level thing. I don't like superficial things. <laughs> I want to make real connections. This is the reason that I run the private community beyond measure that, that really inspired me to develop something outside of social media, which felt like it was skimming the surface and superficial and very rushed. This is why I have a podcast that tends to be an hour plus long every episode. I don't want to rush. I I want to get in deep. I want to feel a real connection with somebody like yourself who's listening to this or joining Beyond Measure. I, I want that experience with as many people as possible. And thus, I don't want to rush. Carl says, all the things that bind us together and make life worth living, community, family, friendship, thrive on the one thing we never have enough of, time. So if community, family, and friendship make life worth living, we need to have time to experience those things. And speaking of community, one of the community members who's listening to this episode as I record it live and beyond measure said, I am enough. I have enough. I do enough every single day. This is a quote from Aaron Stutland. And it's a wonderful mantra. But do we really believe it? I guess is the question. It's hard to believe those words. It's hard to feel like we have enough when we've been in this cult of speed, when everyone takes the fast option, maybe not everyone, I I would say almost everyone takes the fast option. And that changes our perspective of things, as Carl points out, the advantage of going fast vanishes and forces us to go faster still. I see this with technology. As technology changes, as computers get faster, many of us have experienced that, right? We were 
might remember what it was like to have a slower computer versus to have a new computer when the internet was slower and the frustration we have learned to feel when things go slow. And some people intentionally use or keep or purchase or or surround themselves with slow things just to get used to it. And that's something I've been contemplating and, and maybe one of the lessons that'll reveal itself as I continue reading this book in praise of slowness. I haven't gotten too many lessons yet, mostly just pointing out the experiences, but what if I could train myself to not be annoyed when my computer goes slow? What if I could choose to have really slow internet access and be purposeful, intentional about slowing down? We have so much that goes faster and faster. Cars get faster and faster. Everything, it, it seems to be faster. Even when I got a new iPhone, I I recently upgraded my iPhone from an iPhone 10 to an iPhone 15. It's five years in between. And I noticed how not only was I relieved to have a faster phone with more space on it and you know, new tools and, and software updates and all that stuff that just felt so convenient and fun. The downside to that was not only how I was getting used to a different speed, a much faster speed than my previous phone, but I found myself wanting to use the phone more as a result. And it, I think in this book, In Praise of Slowness, points out in a great example that really resonated with me how when the washing machine was invented or more accessible for households, there was this belief that the machine would save people time. They would be doing less housework or spending less time doing it because instead of washing things by hand or taking it somewhere to be washed, you could throw it into a machine, press a button and walk away. But what actually happened is because we had access to that speed, we started washing our clothes more often. So ultimately it didn't end up saving us time. And I feel the same way with my phone. Yes, the phone is faster. I can do things faster on this new phone, but because I have extra time or the perception of extra time, I ended up filling up that time with other things and using my phone just as much, if not more. And that to me is a bit scary. That goes back to accelerating things that should not be accelerated. When everyone takes the fast option, the advantage of going fast vanishes and forces us to go faster still. Ah, the book then pivots into some of the downsides of it. Like when we're moving so fast, we often feel more rage. Fast is busy, controlling, aggressive, hurried, analytical, stressed, superficial, impatient, active, and quantity over quality. A lot of those words don't resonate well with me. Like I said, busyness, hurry, don't like it. I feel stressed. I don't like superficial. I certainly don't want to live my life with quantity over quality. Now, slow is the opposite. It's calm, careful, receptive, still, intuitive, unhurried, patient, reflective, and quality over quantity. It is about making real and meaningful connections. That's what I want. That's what the core of the things that I've chosen the last few years, such as 
committing to beyond measure, I want to, as Carl said, live better in a fast paced modern world. I want to find a way to strike a balance between fast and slow. And I think that phrase is really important. And maybe that can shift things for me, actually. Given that I had the aim of going slower in 2023, I think I accomplished it in some ways, but I didn't really feel like this year was that slow. But maybe it's not about being slow. Maybe it's about being slower. Maybe it's about finding that balance because as I've really noticed, it's not that accessible to go slow. When when you go slow, I think there's a compromise and I can do a little thought exercise when I examine like the, the options. So let's say today, after I finish recording this episode, I try to go really slow. My brain immediately goes to like the consequences or how that won't work. (laughs) You know, if I wanted to go slow and take my time with this podcast, I would be late to my meeting. And through reading this book, I, I actually was thinking about how I have a tendency to really prioritize punctuality. I feel anxious and stressed if I'm not on time for something like a meeting, even a minute late. Yesterday, I was a minute late to a Zoom meeting and I felt awful about it. (laughs) Like a minute, not a lot of time, but I felt stressed and anxious. I felt shame. Like I I have a lot wrapped up in time and punctuality. And I really don't like it when other people are late to meeting me. That gives me anxiety and stress. I also feel resentful. If someone's 10 minutes late to meeting me, my brain will immediately think, wow, if if they had just told me they were going to be 10 minutes late, I would have been 10 minutes late too. I would have done something else with those 10 minutes. Like it drives me nuts. It's a constant exercise for myself to be on time and to manage my emotions when I'm not on time and also to manage my emotions when someone else isn't on time because I don't have control over it. And I have to work through judgment about myself and judgment about other people. It's really hard. So today, if I intend to be slow, to me, there's a consequence of potentially being late. And since I don't want to be late for my next meeting, I don't feel like I have the luxury of slowness. But what about after that meeting? Look at my schedule. I don't have much going on, at least not off the top of my head. Could I go slow after the meeting? That's the question. Sure. But slow is very relative, right? It's relative to how I would have done something differently. And there's the price to pay in terms of getting used to it. It's that balance that's the key. Because just a black and white view, the on and off switch of on being fast and off being slow For me, I need a lot of transition time. I need to get used to it. I need to make a shift. If it's an abrupt change like that, it's really difficult. It can feel unpleasant and uncomfortable to make a change. If I decided not to look at my watch for the rest of the day, look, including my iPhone and the time on my computer and the time on any clock, what would that day be like? And that's a really hard thing for me. The one time 
most recently that I think I've experienced it is when I went on the camping trip in the Sequoia National Forest. I did an episode on this. It was uh, earlier this year in, in July. And I mentioned how I had these, I think, at least one full day where there was seemingly nothing to do. I was with a group of people. I don't think we had cell service. I'm almost certain we didn't. And when you don't have cell service, well, you're probably not going to use a phone. <laughs> Certainly not going to use a computer. I Well, I guess maybe you could. These devices still work without cell phone connection, of course. But I didn't have a reason aside from the camera on my phone. Brought my phone along so I could take pictures and videos to document it. But because we had committed to a certain timeline for this trip, uh, two nights and one full day of being there, that full day, there was no schedule. There was no plan. And it was interesting because it was so unusual. It's not something I typically do. And when you have a day that's been scheduled to do nothing, <laughs> it's really fascinating it's, it was lovely, actually. I, I can't think of any drawbacks to it, but that's also because I planned for it. As I said, I scheduled it in, so it was still centered around time. It, it still had a time container. It had a time limit. To me, it'd be interesting if there wasn't that. I mean, I feel that I would still want to plan it in in a way, actually. Like, let's just say that I plan for sometime in 2024 to have an indefinite period of time of no scheduling. That feels really challenging because I would wonder how would I make money? Would I be able to reasonably make money right now? The way I make money is several fold. I'm got a lot of different income sources. Um, but they are all centered around other people in communication. So how could I do that type of work? Could I even do that type of work? When I coach somebody, for example, when I do well-being coaching, there's a schedule. If it's a group, we have a plan, we have a time. So if I wasn't looking at my watch or a calendar, I would never know what time it was and I, how would I be able to meet my group or my individual that I'm coaching? I, I, I can't even think of it unless I had um, Zoom on all the time and, and I heard somebody show up and say, hey, I'm here. And that would be my cue, <laughs> I guess. If I had a destination and somebody just showed up whenever they wanted, I guess that could work. So it's interesting to think about this. Um, I work with a lot of clients. I, I um, as a podcaster, I don't just host this podcast, but I, I work with other people in the podcast world. In fact, that's become the majority of my work and my income. And when I'm working with other podcasters, they have a schedule. Just like I release this episode on certain days of the week and have other other pieces in there if i'm if i'm having a show edited by someone they want to have the show in a certain schedule right so no, how would any of those things work i don't think they would but then i start to think 
what we often don't factor in is our relationship to time is often connected to money, not just how we make money, but how we spend money. And so if we shifted our, our relationships with time to not even really consider it, would we be spending as much money? I haven't fully contemplated this yet, but it's a really interesting thing. Like, what if we strip down to that more minimalist way of living? It seems very extreme to me. But part of me yearns for that. Part of me is very curious. Like, what would that feel like? Would that feel any different than the three months that I take off to travel? I don't know. If it was indefinite, that was actually part of my aim when I started doing these cross-country trips. I think maybe the first one I did, I don't recall having a date that I planned to drive back to Los Angeles. And that felt so freeing. That felt very different than taking a plane. I guess you can always get a one-way trip on a plane, but but uh, because of all the coordination with a plane, I always felt like I had to do a round trip. And when I drove out here, I felt like I had so much more control and flexibility. And it is true. I didn't even know what day I was going to be leaving the East coast to head back to LA until about a week ago. And I noticed even in that process, the, the lingering unknown felt very uncomfortable. I felt that urgency, that pressure to choose a date. And that gave me a sense of stress, but it, it was that twofold thing where part of me didn't want to choose a date and have a timeline, but part of me felt like I had to. Part of me was concerned about the consequences of not adhering to some sort of schedule. And that's part of what makes us all complex. Maybe that's why we keep choosing the path of least resistance to stay in this cult of speed. Because if we opt out of it, it feels so hard and uncomfortable and foreign that we would rather not bother. And I'm curious if you feel this way, you know, this is such a complex thing. I'm curious if you've contemplated this. Uh, certainly the idea of hustling and being busy, it, it feels like a mixed bag of people that enjoy it and simultaneously don't like it. It seems like busyness is often a badge of honor as well as a pain point. And will it always be that way? I wonder, does it have to be that way? Could it be more binary where you say, you know what? I love being busy, <laughs> period. It is my badge of honor. Or I really don't enjoy being busy. So I'm going to strive, truly strive not to. I'm going to no longer associate busyness with success. I'm going to embrace the fact that I don't like it and I'm going to be conscious in it. I mean, I fall into that category. I have for years and it's taking me years and years to just start to unravel all this, to even come across books like in praise of slowness. I mentioned the other book rest is resistance, which is such a wonderful read so far. All similarly, 
uh, as with the other book, I have a tendency to jump from book to book. I don't always finish books, um, but I, I usually make it through the first few chapters as I did with both of these so far. And Resto's resistance, as I mentioned, is mostly about the systemic issues and, and capitalism and the importance of resting period. It's not just slowing down. I mean, I think there's there's obviously overlaps between slowness and rest, but but the idea is that resting, as as the author Trisha Hersey said, rest is a healing portal to our deepest selves. Rest is care and rest is radical. She said that grind culture has made us all human machines, willing and ready to donate our lives to a capitalist system that thrives by placing profits over people. The the rest is resistance movement is a connection and a path back to our true nature. It's beautifully written. She has done great work. She has a website called The Nap Ministry that I've been paying attention to off and on for years. And I could probably dedicate a whole episode. I would love to have her on the show one day. Actually, she's one of those those guests that I've had in mind for so long. And I think that idea of a resistance and, and going back to the first book about the cult of speed, you know, it does feel like resistance, but there are benefits to resisting these things. There are benefits to taking ourselves out of the cult, but along with that are consequences. And that's what makes this so challenging. I think it's a both and thing, that balance I talked about. We can understand that we might not want these things because there's so many trade-offs, but also being aware how challenging it is to step away from something that's been part of our culture for so long. Again, many of these books touch upon the historical context where a lot of these ideas around capitalism and speed, um, Trisha points out that capitalism was created on plantations. So the roots of it are violence and theft and how capitalism has cornered us in such a way that we can only comprehend two options. One, work at a machine level from a disconnected and exhausted place, or two, make space for rest and space to connect with our highest self while fearing how we will eat and live. And that that really summarizes a lot of it, right? These two options that many of us feel like we're up against. Connecting with our highest self, but wondering how we're going to survive or trying to survive at this machine level and yet feeling disconnected and exhausted. I think most people opt for the first. The second's too scary. What I hope to find in each of these books is some options for finding that balance. So I guess we can consider this part one of two because I don't have all the answers yet. Um, This is mostly tuning in and noticing, examining that awareness is often the first step and slowly unraveling. Maybe it'll take the rest of my life. You know, it's funny in hindsight that I aimed for 2023 to be the year that I slowed down. But now that it's almost over, I recognize this is a big work in progress. And I don't know if I will ever see the finish line. 
that seems a little dark, but I guess life is about getting closer and closer to our goals. And, and I suppose if we achieved them, there would always be something else. There always is. And maybe achieving things feels too, I don't know. Maybe that takes out the joy. So as usual, I will lean into the joy and the discomfort and the joy of something that doesn't feel complete. As one person in Beyond Measure who is listening live said, I I used to be a workaholic. Now I prefer balance and have more rest to smell the roses. And that's beautiful. Literally smelling the roses, the plants. That's something that I want to go do right now after I wrap up this episode. I want to go get some food because I can tell that I'm hungry. Another thing that many of us do is put aside our our physical needs because we're rushing so much. It's 1.30 and I've barely eaten today. Why? Because I've been caught up in all this agenda. And I would also like to eat some food outside and just smell nature. One final book I'll, I'll mention that I've, I've talked about before. Some of my favorite references is called The Nature Fix. And I am starting to reread it actually because I, I loved it so much as an audiobook. I want to take in the words in the written form too. And um, there's so many beautiful lessons about how nature can help us slow down and rest and be present. But like I said, that that's hard. Even, even when I do these travels, which are so centered around nature, it's still hard to be present. So I don't know if I'll ever get to the point of feeling rested enough and slow enough, but there's that word again, enough. I guess it's all relative in a matter of perspective. So to be continued. I will link to these three books in praise of slowness, rest as resistance and the nature fix as resources for you. They are affiliate links. I, I use this wonderful platform called bookshop, which is an alternative to Amazon. You can of course get these books on Amazon and Kindle, but I, I really enjoy supporting bookshop because it's a small business and, and they are very mindful about diversity, equity, and inclusion lots of wonderful perks to them. So those links will be in the description along with a link to Beyond Measure. I mentioned it a few times. I mentioned it in as many episodes as I can. Beyond Measure is a private community that's centered around all of these things. We we aim to have connection with community. We aim to honor each other and slow down and ask these hard questions and navigate these challenges of life together as a group. That's also where I offer the group coaching that I mentioned. So if any of that appeals to you, it's free to join Beyond Measure. The link is in the description. I'd love to have you part of it. And you can come listen to episodes like this live and chat with other people. It's been a really nourishing experience for me. And it really has helped me slow down and connect and tap into so many of the the aims that I have. That's it for today. I'll be back with another guest episode. Well, this is a solo episode to be clear. Uh, I alternate between episodes where it's just me and episodes where I have a special guest, always aiming to line up people that have different perspectives on the world from me, maybe from yourself that teach us something new. So stay tuned. 
if you would like to listen to that, or you can go back through the archive. We're getting close to 500 episodes of this show. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really interesting. Try not to rush there, but it's always kind of satisfying to hit some sort of number like that. So lots more coming your way. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you have an opportunity to slow down and rest a little bit, spend some time in nature. Bye for now.